0: Good morning. Yes, today is the day. It's the day the Lord has made. I'm Carmen LeBurge. I am your morning. I don't. I, you might be driving, so I might be your morning drive companion. You might be getting ready for the day. You might be listening to this via podcast later in the day, um, and we might be going for a walk or a run, or we might be wandering around the grocery store. So whatever it is that we're doing together, I am happy to be along. So thank you so much. It is Thanksgiving week. Here's what I can promise you in advance. I can promise you in advance opportunities for patience, like that's what I feel like I can promise during Thanksgiving week. Patience will be required at the grocery store. Patience will be required on the road. Patience will be required with those who prevent you from getting on the road as early as you would prefer. That that might be my critical one. Uh, patience, you're going to have the opportunity for patience with people at the table. Patience with the. Uh, know-nothings and patience with the know-it-alls. Uh, you're going to have an opportunity for patience with the young uh, who can't sit still and patience with the aged um, who, you know, they don't want to get up and do anything. I'm just telling you, you know, here, <laughs> it's going to be an opportunity for patience this week. Here's an idea. Instead of counting uh, all the sins of others against them, let us count it a blessing that we are free of work for a day or even a couple of days. Uh, and and everywhere that you go where people are working, and maybe you will be working on Thanksgiving or maybe you will be working on Black Friday, uh, those are opportunities for patients as well. So everywhere that you go where people are working, I want you to thank them. That is uh, one of my one of the things that's like a, a bright, shiny takeaway from having seen the Mr. Rogers movie over the weekend, uh, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. He thanked people. He was grateful for everything. He thanked people when they told him painful things about themselves or about him. He thanked people for serving him. He thanked people for allowing him to serve them. He thanked people for allowing him into their hearts and into their homes through conversation. He thanked them for uh, the moments of shared silence. There's a lesson in there for us this Thanksgiving week. What might our lives be like if we were more grateful always and in all ways for things that just seem ordinary? And how could I be thankful this week for opportunities for patience? When we come back, Dr. Linda Mental will be here. She and I are going to talk about gratitude. Gratitude literally rewires our brains uh, that we might be happier. It's actually physically good for us to be grateful and Linda is going to talk about how we can have a politics-free Thanksgiving. Woo! Politics-free? Good heavens. Wouldn't that be nice? We'll be right back. this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty world. This is my fight song. Take back my life. Joining me now, Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at DrLindaMental.com. And actually, you can find precisely what we're talking about today, which is a politics-free Thanksgiving. Linda, welcome back.
1: Nice to be with you. I'm going to tell you how good I think you do on the radio. See, I'm going to give you some thanks right there. <laughs> well, to start thank, you for, thank you for being <laughs> here. Otherwise, I would be by myself. Yeah, I know. I
0: would be so, so thank lonely. you. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's start with this. Why don't you tell us a story? Um, because in your lead paragraph of Politics-Free Thanksgiving, you allude to an experience that you had at a Thanksgiving table a number of years ago. Um, why don't you tell us that story as a starting point so that we can then pivot to the need for a Politics-Free Thanksgiving?
1: Yeah, that was a bad Thanksgiving on my part. Um, I was coming home uh, in the whole family, and I have very opinionated relatives. And I love them to death, but um, we have always been very open with our ideas, very free to express them. And um, this was another particularly contentious time in our political history, and I apparently voted uh, against what all the other people in the family, the candidate I voted for was not the one that the family had chosen, apparently. Didn't know that. And so we started talking about it at the Thanksgiving dinner, and it got so bad and so awful and the way that we were discussing it was less than I would say civil and respectful. And I literally got to the point of tears, and got up finally just that couldn't take it anymore. And I left the table and was crying. And of course, one of my my aunts came over and said, you know, this has really gotten bad, hasn't it? And I said, Yes, it's ridiculous. We can all have an opinion. But the way I'm being treated in there is just absurd in terms of, who I am, who our family is. We've always been free to express ourselves. Something deeper is going on here. And um, we need to kind of look at that. And we we kind of pulled ourselves back together, but it was not pleasant. And out of that experience, we sort of developed some ground rules uh, based on what we're gonna do at Thanksgiving in order to keep it really focused on the meaning of the holiday.
0: So you're more proactive than I am. I just volunteer early on to sit at the kids' table.
1: <laughs> well, I didn't get off the kids table car until I was like forty. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've been sitting there a long time because <laughs> we have so many relatives. But, yeah, I mean, there's a point where, you know, and because of what I do for a living, obviously, as a as a psychologist and a you know clinical person, I'm not going to just sit there and react. I'm going to uh, pick it apart and, and make the family deal with it because I'm also a family therapist. So, um, you know, we did sit down. We did talk about it a little bit. And I think if you've had a really negative experience with your family, it might not be a bad idea to actually do that, especially as we're approaching this one, because this political season is so contentious and so over the top in my period. In my opinion, I'm exhausted by it all, to tell you the truth. I don't, I don't even want to hear anymore. I've heard enough, seen enough. I don't want to deal with all this at a time when we're really supposed to be focused on being thankful and appreciating our families and enjoying them for a day and a meal. Certainly, we can figure out a way to do that. So maybe if you've had bad experiences, it would be a good idea to sit down with your family and lay some ground rules.
0: So I love this approach and this idea. Um, I think that from my perspective, I would have to start with the hostess. I would have to start with a private conversation before before actually arriving, um, where, you know, I would say to the hostess, which in this case would be my mom, hey, mom, um, you know, I'm I am aware that there are some really strong differences of opinion um, in terms of what's happening right now in the culture, what's happening in the nation politically. Um, I'm wondering if we can have a strategy that we can employ in advance. And, and it could be you know down to who's sitting with whom. Like, could we be strategic about that? Could we have some tabletop conversations? Um, Could we have some planned activities? Maybe inside or on the flip side of people's place card, there could be one question you have to answer. We're going to go around the table. Something that is um, more gets people into a conversation that's very different, maybe gets them telling stories about their childhood or our family history. What are some of the techniques you use in your family?
1: Yeah, that's great. That's a distraction technique where you have somebody that's a plant. <laughs> in my, that's the way we sort of talked about it in our family, where we're going to pivot the conversation to something more positive. And the best way in faith families is to pivot it to something spiritual, because then it's really much harder to be nasty when you're talking about spiritual things. And uh, so that's kind of a good strategy to have somebody say, OK, I'm going to be the person. We're going to pivot. If you talk to the host, no matter who it is or the hostess, And, you know, there's no control over that. I think the best strategy is just not to be reactive. And so one of the things I've done at a couple other dinners where it was reactive, where we were at other people's houses, um, is I've just been quiet. And uh, I know that's hard for me to do because I always have an opinion. But I've decided, you know, if I don't engage in that, and when people say really contentious things, and this is the thing I did after that horrible Thanksgiving, the next year, a couple of my uncles started up again. And I just looked at them and I said, wow, you have very strong opinions. I'm listening to them. I'm hearing them. They're interesting. And I took a very different approach. Um, I I didn't get into the fight. You know, it can't be a tug of war if you're not tugging on the other end. So I just think one way is to be just re, you know, just don't react to those kinds of things, appreciate their opinion, tell them that they're, you're really clear on where they feel, and don't give yours. Uh, I have, a, I have a, a co-worker who always says less is more. And I think that's a good, maybe a good way to be if you're in one of those situations where you can't control it. So the difference is sometimes you can take control and set the rules. Other times, you can't control it. So if that's the case, then Maybe work on being a bit of a peacemaker and shifting the conversation or just not reacting to those negative comments.
0: One of my other techniques, and when we come back, uh, I'm going to continue this conversation with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find what we're talking about today at DrLindaMental.com, Politics Free Thanksgiving. Um, One of my other techniques, Linda, is to get up and serve. Like I just get yeah. up from the table and I am the one that goes and washes the dishes, or you know I go, pick up the crying baby and leave the room. Like find ways to serve the group and also extract myself from a contentious conversation. So we're going to continue yeah. this this conversation with Dr. Linda Mental in just a moment. We'll be right back.
2: Dream, so the back row is your
0: Continuing my conversation with Dr. Linda Mentel, we're talking about having a politics-free Thanksgiving. Doesn't that sound tasty? Uh, Linda, <laughs> right? I mean right? Oh, right. first of all, look, let me ask this: do you, have, do you have a favorite side dish? Like, what is your favorite I Thanksgiving do. food item?
1: It's so funny in church yesterday the 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 pastor was asking the little 3 and 4 year olds you know what was your favorite your favorite dish for Thanksgiving and of course I think seven of them said turkey and then finally one really brave child said chips <laughs> I thought nice yeah, we have those on the table but my favorite one is when my mom makes it's just a tradition I love traditions and she makes this it sounds really awful but it's like this apricot pineapple um, uh, jello with this whipped cream on top of it with marshmallows. And it's just really And Everybody who eats jello goes, Oh, I'm not gonna like it. And everybody always likes it. So we make it every year just to, you know, keep the tradition going. It's kind of a nice thing when you can pass down uh, recipes generation to generation just makes it nice.
0: So you have brought to mind that we have a Jello thing that happens at Thanksgiving and only at Thanksgiving, and um, and that I I need to intervene in advance so that the topping does not end up on mine because I like the Jello portion but not the weird concoction on the top. Um, so that's good. I need to like intervene in advance. Um, uh, we asked the same question yesterday. I teach 7th and 8th grade Sunday school uh at at the church where um where I'm a part and um I asked that same lead off question and in addition to one kid who said we have steak, um they don't have which I thought was interesting. Um one other student said it's the one time a year we have salt and vinegar potato chips. And <laughs> I thought that's that so cute. odd, right? But it yeah. like stands out in his mind. So chips is apparently a popular answer to the question.
1: <laughs> I've never seen it in all my life at any Thanksgiving table or afterwards, even. So that's a so, new one for me. I'm a Midwesterner, okay. so we're pretty
0: we're pretty traditional. <laughs> yeah. So me too, right? I mean, that's uh, I I was born in in Indiana, so we have whatever is the standard Indiana plan for Thanksgiving. Yeah. So. Oh,
1: it's also it also gets contentious with us. We can't forget football coming up on the mm. weekend after. So we're Ohio, we're we're Michigan uh family and we are diehard and it's the Michigan Ohio State game. So it's also gonna be if anybody ever marries someone that's from Ohio, you know, that's really bad. There's
0: suspicion. <laughs> There's immediate <Yeah>. suspicion. Yes. <laughs> They're just not welcomed at the table too well. That's so funny, right? Okay, so give us some strategies. Some, I mean, we've talked about a few. I'm also thinking. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking like you know, asking for the Jello recipe. Like you can interrupt any conversation that's going on and just say, you know what? I before this day gets away, we all need this Jello recipe.
1: Yeah, well, you don't know my relatives. They're very good at going back to the original. it 's harder with distraction, but I like what you said before the break that you can get up and serve. You also can get up at any time and just take a time out. There have been times when i 've just gotten up i 've gone to the restroom, and i 've just kind of you know prayed a little bit, got my thoughts together, thought how can I be gracious? How can I be kind because you don't want to return that that argument and that anger that people have with the same thing. One of the things that really helps too is if there are kids around. And you can organize games, you can, you know, do things with the kids. So you can always go and grab the kids and start, you know, drawing things and playing with games and doing things or create games yourself. So one of the things I love about Midwesterners is we're big game players. And I think it's because we're in the snow all the time and we have, we can't get out much. So we have to do stuff inside. So we're either eating pie and coffee with somebody or we're playing games during the winter. So playing games is great because you're not, thinking about politics you're really getting into the competition and I think another good one is if you can get out if the day is nice and you can go for a walk in nature or in the city wherever you are and just get out and get some fresh air Um, You play, you know, tag football or do something that's exercise related. That makes everybody feel better, especially since you've just eaten this huge meal and everybody wants to fall asleep because of the tryptophan and the turkey. Getting up and getting active is also a great way to create some new memories. So a craft thing, you know, make a tradition out of that, get kids involved, get everybody involved and start creating some new traditions rather than just sitting around and talking and getting really upset about the way the country is going today or if you like it or you don't like it or whatever.
0: Okay, so I just Googled, like, fun Thanksgiving games. And Pinterest, you know, Pinterest has not existed long enough for us to have exhausted all of the possibilities. Uh, (laughs) Pin the feather on the turkey had not occurred to me. Um, And then there's roll a turkey, which is like this little fun thing that you play with M&Ms and put them on a card. It looks a lot like bingo. Um, there, uh, there's all kinds of conversation starters. There's Thanksgiving Mad Libs, a memory matching game that you could play with Thanksgiving, uh, just all kinds of stuff. So there, oh, and here's one pumpkin roll. Take all those pumpkins outside that you had for like Thanksgiving. You got to do something with them and have a contest who can roll the pumpkin the furthest, the fastest.
1: That sounds fun cut them open and do pumpkin seeds. That's another tradition that people do. We've, d- we've done that for years, cut them so open, fun. get the seeds out and do that. And has anyone ever thought of, and our kids went to a classical education school. So we actually did a lot of historical things. So we talked about the history of the of Thanksgiving as well. And we read a couple of the little plays and um, you know, that the kids had to do in, in school. So we've made it in one year. Uh, the school that my kids went to got a little far, they did this several times, they actually cooked the original Thanksgiving meal. And part of that was eel and squirrel. <laughs> so Ugh. I don't recommend that on your table. But it's an interesting conversation for kids. And you know, maybe picking up a history book and looking at what the original Thanksgiving was all about.
0: Uh, And reading the initial, the first Thanksgiving Day proclamation, because it is really God-centered and, wow, really redemptive conversation to have that kind of circles all the way back around to um, who we are as we the people and who we are as one nation under God. So uh, let our tables at Thanksgiving be indivisible as we are seeking to glorify God um, in our own lives and certainly in our conversations with those
1: we love uh Linda, thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving. Same to you. And you started your your top of the hour with today is the day that the Lord has made and I was thinking, Carmen, the rest of that is and I will rejoice and be glad in it. So we should do it every day, but let's especially do it and have a happy Thanksgiving on Thursday.
0: Amen. Absolutely. We look forward to our next conversation. That's Dr. Linda Mental. You can hear her right here on the Faith Radio Network. You can also find her at drlindamental.com. We'll be right back. Next up, David Aikman. He and I are going to talk about what is continuing to unfold in Hong Kong. Election results confirm a desire there for democracy. Uh, I'm going to ask him you know, as a as a person who has been paying attention for a much longer period of time than many of us have. David Aikman has a perspective on uh, how the Chinese government in Beijing may be hearing uh, those in Hong Kong who, um, you know, who really have a genuinely open mind. I don't think open-mindedness is something that uh, communists really appreciate. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about what is going on in the UK. You may have heard that there are candidates uh, in the UK who want abortion on demand up to birth. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
2: I get this line from young people all the time. They say, I wanna be able to make decisions for myself and be in control of my own life. My response, hallelujah. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Surprised by my response? But gradually handling over-responsibility is the only way to turn a child into an adult. The key, though, is balancing new freedoms with appropriate boundaries. For example, teens should be able to wear whatever they want, but as soon as that clothing becomes immodest, they cross a boundary and face consequences. So, is your daughter ready to take complete control of her life? If you give her the freedom she desires within the boundaries she needs, She's one step closer to becoming a responsible adult. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. My name is Bond, James Bond.
0: Well, I love to talk with Dr. David Aikman, editor of Godspeed magazine, and he's back today. David, welcome back.
2: Thank you, Carmen. Wonderful to be with you again.
0: Well, it's it's always a delight. So um, let's talk about, let's start in Hong Kong. Um, We have these election results. We've heard about it in the news at the top of the hour, um, and we've actually just heard about it in the little recap there in the news at the bottom of the hour. Um right. talk with us about what has happened because this is this is actually pretty monumental. it's one thing to have protests it's another thing to have those protests affirmed in actual elections
2: absolutely I mean the narrative of the Communist Party of China is that oh, these rioters they're all hooligans and they're criminals and so forth. The people of Hong Kong want to return to order and normality, and they're patriotic, etc. Well, what this shows is that in spite of a great deal of violence during the demonstrations, the people of Hong Kong absolutely support the right of the democratic protest in principle, and they're prepared to go out and vote in the only way possible to legitimately show their approval of the protesters' campaign to change Hong Kong's democratic situation, the wonderful example of defiance of totalitarian leadership.
0: So I'm curious to know, because when I read this headline, and I'm actually just going to pull it up, um, I read this headline uh, from the BBC this morning, Hong Kong elections, Carrie Lam promises, quote, open mind after election rout. Talk with us about the concept of an open mind. How, how is Beijing, how is the communist government going to hear that language?
2: Well, I don't think uh, the communists can understand the concept of an open mind any more than a, um, well, what's the analogy then? Uh, a blind people can understand the concept of fresh air. I mean, the, the communist party is immune to understanding freedom and openness. And they get it wrong every time the opportunity comes up. And fortunately fortunately, it's come up because the people of Hong Kong demonstrated against the insidious imposition of this dictatorship on the city. They had demonstrations for six months. And finally, although the demonstrations have not come to an end, the people of Hong Kong said, Okay, we don't like everything the demonstrators do, but we do like what they are aiming for, which is a democratic governance in our own city. And listen, Beijing, you've got got to pay attention to this.
0: So I know that you may not have this in front of you. Um, uh, Just another headline related to China that I'm reading at the BBC. And just to make uh, listeners aware, apparently there was a data leak and it has revealed China's uh, brainwashing efforts related to the Uyghurs in the prison camps um, in western China. Uh, these high-security prison camps that they uh, continue right. to say are voluntary education and training spaces. Apparently, there's been a data breach, and we have uh, like learned substantively what we uh, had certainly been led to believe was going on all along, um, and that is that people are being brainwashed, actively brainwashed.
2: Of course they are. That's very interesting. What was the source of this data breach?
0: Yes, now see, now I'm scrolling. Uh, uh, let's see. The China, the leaked Chinese government documents, which the ICIJ have labeled the China cables, include a nine-page memo sent out in 2017 by Zhu, I will spell his last name, H-A-I-L-U-N, then secu- deputy security of Xi Jinping's Communist Party, and the region's top security official. So the the guys running the camps had this nine-page memo. It included uh, never. Here's a list: never allow escapes, increase the discipline and punishment of behavioral violations, promote repentance and confession, make remedial Mandarin studies the top priority, encourage students by truly tra- to truly transform, and then um, ensure full video surveillance coverage of the dormitories and classrooms, free of blind spots at all times. So that that, at, least, at least we now know, like, what's going on from the people doing it.
2: Well, that's absolutely true. That's an inside look. And all kinds of other things have surfaced recently. I don't know whether you followed the uh, narrative of Simon Chung, the, the Hong Kong Chinese worker for the British consulate in Hong Kong, who was kidnapped at the Kowloon Railroad Station taken to China for 15 days and tortured there in order to make him confess that the British government was the one f- f- fermenting all the protests in Hong Kong, which, of course, uh, was not the case at all. But the, the fact that he was able to be whisked off the streets of Hong Kong with, without anybody in Hong Kong so much as uh, batting an eye shows that the protests against the growing imposition of Chinese control over Hong Kong are absolutely legitimate and should be supported by every free person in the free world.
0: So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the support. Um, In terms of how the United States might support the demonstrators or the protesters, and how Great Britain might do so. Let, let's talk about that. What, what, what does support look like?
2: Well, it means several different things, Carmen. First of all, um, if you remember what the United States did in Russia and Eastern Europe uh, when the Cold War began, they had Russian-language radio services uh, around the clock telling the people of Russia and Eastern Europe what was happening in their own countries that they couldn't get from their own press. So this enlarged the awareness of ordinary people about their actual conditions. So we should be doing the same thing in China big time, uh, telling the Chinese people what the Chinese Communist Party is really up to. Second, um, the fact that the United States House of Representatives passed the uh, Hong Kong Democracy Act is a very significant point. And you can tell it's significant because the Chinese have become apoplectic about it, absolutely coughing and spluttering, explaining that it's a, it's a madness doctrine. But what that act says, it has nothing to do with the internal governance of China. It simply says the United States trade with Hong Kong is separate from trade with the People's Republic. And Those conditions will only remain as long as Hong Kong is certified by the State Department as a freely self-governing city. And that doesn't seem to be the case at all right now. So I think President Trump, although he may not want to for diplomatic reasons, will be forced to sign it because it's a very important bipartisan document of the United States Congress.
0: That's the Hong Kong Democracy Act. I am talking with Dr. David Aikman, editor of Godspeed magazine. Um, When we come back, David, there's a couple of things going on in your own country that I would uh, like to have a conversation about. One might be a brief conversation about Prince Andrew, just so that people know what's happening there. Um, But then also I was intrigued by this headline related to abortion in the U.K., And an effort, at least by some, to have it available on demand up to the point of birth. So that conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm talking with Dr. David Aikman, editor of Godspeed Magazine, and uh, David, because you're in Great Britain I, I I must ask I must ask at least one question uh, about what in the world is going on with Prince Andrew
2: okay well sorry to correct you a little bit uh, no please I'm do you
0: know you know I'm poor at this
2: <laughs> I'm not in Great Britain I'm in the Republic of Ireland which is not part of Great Britain it's an independent country
0: see I'm making notes all right okay. well do do no you worries. want to comment? then then, then, then would then would you please comment across the border what what in the world is going on with Prince Andrew?
2: Well, I know it's an extraordinary situation. Well, he um, made an acquaintance with Jeffrey Epstein. Apparently became quite close to Ep- Epstein, who uh, so he says, helped him in, in a lot of his professional connections for which uh, Andrew is very grateful. But according to his own interview with the BBC about a week ago, he hadn't a clue about what was going on in Epstein's actual mansion or in any of the places where Epstein lived. And uh, people who, who knew a lot about Epstein says, this is hardly credible because you couldn't. Unless you were blind, deaf, and dumb, you couldn't ignore the fact that there were lots of teenage young girls wandering around. And what were they there for? And were they servants? Were they friends of different people? And so he has to account for his apparent ignorance or apparent unawareness of what was going on, which is very difficult for some people to accept, particularly all of Epstein's uh, former victims who've spoken up in their adult life. So uh, he's now withdrawn completely from overt public life as a member of the royal family for at least a season until it's all blown over and then eventually he will probably resume some duties. But it's... uh, the most shocking thing to happen in the British royal family uh, since the death of uh, princess diana
0: yeah it is a big story and i think that um for those of us who who don't operate in in a similar environment um i wanted to at least lift it to people's awareness uh because it is it is a big story uh for folks you know, on the other side of the pond. Okay, so might we talk about abortion in the UK? First of all, um, yes. I, rec- I recognize that abortion laws are very, very different depending on where you are. Um, but this conversation about uh, the Labour Party or at least one candidate in the Labour Party pledging to introduce abortion up to the point of birth, this seems pretty staggering.
2: It is. It's absolutely ghastly. And I have to say, looking back historically, um, I left the UK for the United States several decades ago. And when I left, there was at least a vestige of Christian moral testimony in the culture. Not much, but some. And it's inconceivable to me that this could have happened, let's say, in the mid 1960s, without everybody just protesting wildly. But the fact that it's happened today indicates what takes place when a secular culture continues a completely godless line of activity for several decades in a row. This is what comes up. And it's a a tragedy for the the British people, I think. And uh, because the new abortion regulations being proposed by this Labour Party guy would make Britain have the most extreme abortion regulations in the whole of Europe and among most countries in the world, because most of the countries in Europe have a a limitation for abortion of 24 weeks or so. Uh, But this is quite extreme.
0: So I'm just going to read a portion of this. Um, This is actually a manifesto by the Labour Party. uh, And this manifesto outlines that the party is seeking to decriminalize abortion. Full decriminalization of abortion would involve repealing several sections um, of current uh, British law, including Offenses Against the Person Act uh, and the Infant Life Preservation Act, which means that um, if, if a child survives an abortion, um, it would now no longer be criminal to then kill that child outside of the womb. This is... Um, this is, bar- this is barbaric.
2: It, it's totally barbaric, Carmen. I don't think there's any remotely legitimate way you can argue in favor of that in, what, in a society that calls itself civilized. And I'm so sorry that the, the Christian population of the United Kingdom has not really mobilized itself much more effectively to oppose this in the same way that uh, American pro-life people have done. So there's a tremendous amount of work to be done to reclaim the culture for moral and humane and godly values.
0: I mean, I, I'm just looking at these numbers, and there there are a pretty extraordinary number of abortions um In England and in Wales, in terms of the population, it's it's pretty extraordinary already. And apparently that is not considered yet enough for the Labour Party. So um, remind remind us about, uh, you know, sort of the the Labour Party. What's the other option or other options for uh, for people in terms of voting?
2: Well, of course, they can vote for the party in government right now, which is the Conservative Party. That's the party led by Boris Johnson, who really wants to push Brexit forward and leave Britain out of the EU completely. And then you've got the Liberal Democrats who want totally to reverse Brexit and actually to remain in the EU despite the referendum results of 2016. Then you've got the Scottish Nationalists, who are demanding yet another referendum on their own uh, liberty, their own independence from, from Britain. So uh, it's a real mess. Uh, and the Scottish nationalists could perhaps hold a governing position with Labour if Labour secured sufficient votes, although not to, to form a majority, at least to form a government. That's why people who support the Conservative Party and Boris Johnson say this is the most important election in decades, and it's vital that the Conservatives get their act together to maintain some sort of civilized values in the country.
0: And it's coming up when?
2: December the 12th.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought. It's, it's, It's coming up pretty quickly. Uh, David, we will look forward to uh, talking with you again as that election nears. Thank you, uh, as always, for helping us see so many of the headlines from around the world from a Christian worldview. Genuinely appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be asked to speak, and I think these issues are really important.
0: I do, too. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. All right. So as we approach uh, Thanksgiving week, I mean, we're now in it, and so I want us to be people who just have this attitude of gratitude. So today, uh, I'll just set this challenge before before you, and I'll set it before myself. I'm gonna I'm gonna seek to find one opportunity to actually tell someone that I'm grateful for that to them for them um, in a way that might be unusual might be a little odd might feel a little strange the first time we say it like you know thank you for trusting me with that information or thank you for serving me um in in this particular way um maybe just we'll just practice some intentional gratitude today and see how it begins to affect us i am absolutely aware that we, uh, we are healthier the more grateful we become. Gratitude literally rewire, rewires our brain for happiness, and so I, uh, I commend it to you. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.